This is the fourth of seven videos as preparation for Easter. Much happened on Maundy Thursday, and much happens every year in the church's ceremonies recalling those events. There is tenebrae, and in ancient times three solemn masses, respectively for the reception of penitents, consecrating the chrism oil, and the mass of the Lord's Supper. In the Middle Ages these merged into one mass. Then Vespers is recited, followed by the stripping of the altars, at some point the washing of feet, and finally Gethsemane. Each of these is connected with the Holy Eucharist, making it a most fitting theme for our meditation and thanksgiving that day. We will look at each of these connections in turn, so that when Holy Thursday comes, our mind may go all the more easily to the focal point, the Holy Eucharist. First, Tenebrae is absolutely captivating. It is chanted on the three days of Holy Thursday, Good Friday and Holy Saturday, being the matins of that day. On each of the three days, Tenebrae consists of three nocturnes with three psalms, three readings and three responsories, making it very Trinitarian. The first readings are from the book of Jeremiah's Lamentations. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, return to the Lord thy God. The readings of the last nocturne are taken from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, where he speaks of the Lord's Supper, that the night before he died, Jesus took bread and said, This is my body, and this chalice is the New Testament in my blood. This shows the death of the Lord, so that Holy Mass is the memorial of his passion which calls for great reverence among us. If anyone should receive Holy Communion unworthily, they are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But we should examine our conscience, repent our sins, otherwise we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. and for this reason many are spiritually dead. So Tenebrae, though beautiful and captivating, gives us a very serious lesson of the Holy Eucharist. There is good news for those who are spiritually asleep, namely the reconciliation of penitence or confession, so that they may return to Holy Communion. Indeed, all the chief traditions of this day seem to be ordered to the Holy Eucharist. The holy oils of catechumens, chrism, and of the sick are used in four more sacraments. Baptism, without which no one can receive Holy Communion. Confirmation, so that we have the capacity to receive the full strength offered in Holy Communion. Anointing of the sick, so that souls may make a perfect reception of viaticum and holy orders, so that priests exist to confect the Holy Eucharist. The Mass of the Lord's Supper celebrates, of course, the institution of the Holy Eucharist. Next, in Vespers, the first and last antiphons concern the chalice of salvation and the blessed bread, referring to Holy Mass. The stripping of the altars connects the altar with the cross, so we may know that what we receive from the altar is the sacrificial victim, the body of Christ. The washing of feet shows us the meaning of the Holy Eucharist, which is charity, and in Gethsemane we recall Jesus accepted to drink from the cup of suffering so that our sins may be forgiven. Through Holy Mass this becomes the cup of salvation, offered and drunk by the priest also for the forgiveness of our sins, but this time without the suffering. Obviously there is much more to all the rites than this focused survey. We will look now at some of the striking examples to prepare our understanding for the day itself. From perhaps the 4th century, those who committed grave and public sins were required to do heavy and public penances. After a rigorous Lent, 
Penitents would come on Monday, Thursday and lie prostrate in the porch of the cathedral, while the seven penitential psalms and the litany of saints were chanted. Three times subdeacons and deacons would be sent to them with words of comfort and encouragement. Then Psalm 50, the Miserere, 55 and 56 were chanted, followed by six prayers. Finally, the bishop advanced towards the penitents who were still lying prostrate. He sprinkled them with holy water, incensed them, and addressed them in these words of the apostle, Arise ye that sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ shall enlighten you. We can imagine that after more than an hour lying on the cold stone floor, they would have felt as if dead, and it would have been a great relief to rise again. How much more at the resurrection! The traditional prayers for the blessing of the sacred oils are at least 1,500 years old. Aside from the confection of the Holy Eucharist, this is the highest blessing of particular matter in the power of the Church, and it is carried out at privileged moments of Holy Mass. The oil for extreme unction or last anointing would be blessed toward the end of the canon prior to the Paternoster. This is a good time to think of one's own last hour and hope one will be anointed with such oil shortly before one dies. During the communion rite comes the consecration of the chrism oil and the blessing of the oil of catechumens. For the chrism oil, a most noble formula is employed. The bishop prays that God, sanctify by thy blessing this thy creature oil, and infuse into it the virtue of the Holy Ghost, through the cooperating power of Christ thy Son, from whose name it hath borrowed its own of chrism, and wherewith thou didst anoint the priests, kings, prophets, and martyrs, vesting them in the robe of incorruption. So the chrism takes its name from Christ, meaning the anointed, the Messiah. And the more faith we have, the more astounded we may be by this prayer. For God does not refuse the church what she solemnly begs. How wonderful to know that a substance so humble as oil may be infused with the virtue of the Holy Ghost. And much, much more rational human beings through baptism and confirmation. Yet even these sacred actions are surpassed by Holy Thursday's memorializing the Last Supper, that is, the institution of Holy Mass as sacrifice and sacrament. Since Peter and John were sent to prepare the room, the two of them representing faith and love, Peter the first by his confession of true faith, and St. John representing love who leaned on our Lord's breast. The cenacle was a richly appointed room, belonging to a Jew who believed Jesus was the Messiah. Here was the first Mass, here the Catholic priesthood began, here the resurrected Jesus met the Apostles, and fifty days later the Holy Spirit descended upon the Church gathered here. As there is so much to celebrate, the Gloria is reintroduced on Holy Thursday, and accompanied by the ringing of bells. Symbolically the bells may represent the Apostles who sound the good news, but as they dispersed in fear this Thursday night, so the bells then fall silent until the Easter Vigil. The Collect makes a contrast between Judas, punished for his guilt, and the good thief, rewarded for his confession. Both of these were results of the Passion. As the Crucifixion rewards the contrite with eternal life, and simultaneously explains why the unrepentant go to hell, so also Holy Communion is unto salvation or condemnation, depending upon one's disposition. The reading is St. Paul's description of the Last Supper, reminding us again that the Holy Eucharist means life when received worthily, but death when received unworthily. The Gospel relates Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. This is Christian genius, that the great should serve the weak. Such is necessary for any civilization to endure. This example is also recalled in the communion prayer.
the prefaces of the Holy Cross, which praises the metaphysical poetry of God, whereby our salvation comes through the tree of the cross, turning on its head the work of the devil, so that he who introduced death by urging Adam and Eve to take the fruit of the tree at the wrong time, was by that very tree defeated, when through it God chose to give us life in his time. In the canon of the Mass, there are three short insertions which strike the priest forcefully because ordinarily the canon is so stable and unchanging. The new words observe that is celebrating the most sacred day in which our Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed for us, then that this offering be made on the day on which our Lord Jesus Christ gave to his disciples the mystery of his body and blood to be celebrated, and then noting that this day, Holy Thursday, is the day before he suffered for our salvation when he instituted the Holy Eucharist. Uniquely this day, two large hosts are consecrated, one to be consumed in this Mass, and one for Friday's Mass of the pre-sanctified, where no consecration takes place. There is also no kiss of peace on Holy Thursday, out of detestation of Judas's crime, for no cleric wants to give a symbolic kiss on this evening. It is vital to be aware that every Holy Mass is a memorial of the Passion, Resurrection and Ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, as said here in the Offertory and again in the Canon of the Mass. For although on Holy Thursday we remember especially the Last Supper, each Mass is a memorial of the death of our Lord, not of the Last Supper. For every Mass is a sacrifice in propitiation for sin. After Mass is the procession to the Altar of Repose, with the blessed sacrament carried in a veiled chalice. How fitting that our Lord should rest in a chalice, who there in Gethsemane accepted the chalice of suffering to fulfill the will of the Father. After a period of adoration, the clerics return to the sanctuary for Vespers, which, during the sacred triduum, is recited recto tono, that is, without any melodious inflections at the end of the lines of the Psalms. It is bare of introduction, beginning straight away with the antiphon, I will take the cup of salvation joining the Last Supper with Gethsemane and the most precious blood offered in the chalice during Holy Mass. The psalm speaks of Christ's enemies. He was peaceable to those who hated him. The Magnificat Antiphon again recalls the Last Supper when Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to his disciples. This to show that for our sake he became obedient unto death, not hesitating to suffer the torment of the cross, for he loves us so much. As Vespers was stripped of its melodies, hymn, and versicle, so now the altar will be stripped of its cloths and ornamentation. Psalm 21 is recited. The antiphon taken from the words of the psalm, they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they cast lots. So the cloths are taken away from the altar, representing the suspension of the sacramental sacrifice until Christ rises from the dead. Even the tabernacle is empty. We cannot help but think of Christ being stripped of his garments before the crucifixion, as now the altar is stripped, ready for the ceremonies of the Passion on Good Friday. At some suitable point is the mandatum, or washing of the feet, where sung, If I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, how much more ought you to wash one another's feet? Hear these things, all ye nations. Give ear, ye that inhabit the world. God is teaching the whole world that leadership is through service as we see in the final prayer. And the washing of dust from the feet represents washing out even the slightest of our sins. During this time, some will have remained in adoration at the altar of repose, 
and now anyone is free to join them. Jesus asked his closest disciples if they could stay one hour awake in prayer with him that night. It behooves us to do likewise on this more than any other night of the year. There have been many events, many ceremonies, each with their own meaning and each pointing to the Holy Eucharist. We have much to adore.